Welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Hey, everyone. This is Chris. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to be active participants in your daughter's lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. Really excited to have you back again this week because as I say every week, this is a journey that you and I are on in raising our daughters and being able to do whatever we can to be able to raise them to be strong and independent and ready for the world. And I love being able to be on this journey with you. I've told you about my daughters. I have two daughters myself. I have two teenagers one of which is headed off to college and I'm getting ready. We're doing tons of things to be able to get her ready for her future. And every week I learn as much as you do. I love bringing on the guests that we have to be able to talk with, with us about things that we can do to be able to be more present, more engaged, and really learning different things about ways in which we can support our daughters through the journey that they are on in their lives. And today, We've got another great guest with us. Fred Sievert is with us. And Fred was raised in a lower middle-class family that only occasionally spoke of God. Fred Sievert received an unexpected visit from God when he was 12, despite his subsequent experiences as an adult transitioning from a math teacher to the president of a Fortune 100 company, a journey driven by aggressive pursuit of the American dream, his habit of thoughtful reflection and his spiritual longing from that one encounter in boyhood informed his decisions for the rest of his life. Now, we're going to be talking about a number of the things there, but we're also going to be talking about his own journey as a father, a father of five, three daughters and two sons. And we're going to also talk about a brand new book that he has out that is called Fast Starting Career of Consequence. And we're going to be talking about that as well, because there's a, a story behind that about he and his daughter. So we're going to be talking about that, too. Fred, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Chris, for having me. Pleasure to be on your show. It is my pleasure having you here today. I love being able to talk to dads about the journey that they are on. So first and foremost, what I want to do is I want to turn the clock back in time. And I, and this is going to be quite a ways back, but back to the beginning when you first had your first daughter. What was going through your head when you found out that you're going to be a dad to a daughter? Well, you know, that discovery was not when my wife found herself to be pregnant. Uh, <laughs> we were told when we first got married after a couple of years of fertility treatment, so we would never have children. But we planned on adopting anyway. And so it was a long journey to adopt from Korea, my oldest daughter, Heidi. And it, it was very thrilling. I was teaching junior high school at the time. I was a football coach. And we had a championship game. And the day of the championship game, I was told I had to go to Chicago. We were in the Detroit area. Had to go to Chicago to pick up my daughter. And of course, that was top priority. And it was exciting to go there. It was exciting to bring her home. And she's been a joy ever since. And actually, she led to one of my coping techniques later on in dealing with a big career. Since I went from being a teacher to being an insurance executive, she led to a practice I adopted that has made a big difference in our lives. 
Well, that kind of transition is a huge transition. Going from being a teacher and a day-to-day schedule and in that eight to five or so, plus all the grading of papers and, and things that you do outside of regular hours. But let's talk a little bit about balance because one of the things that I hear from a lot of dads is that there is a lot of challenge when it comes to the the pressure that society places on us to be able to succeed and work and in life and the amount of time and effort that we put toward the careers that we try to build to support our families. But then at the same time, we are also pushed to be engaged and present and being there at, at the for the kids. And I can only imagine going from, like you said, being a, a teacher to being a executive officer of a Fortune 100 company you know, the the balance that you have to do is very different, but at the same time, you have to come up with some strategies to be able to do that so that you are able to be present for your kids. Yeah, certainly. In fact, I had some coping techniques uh, because I was working crazy hours. I mean, it was a 24 by 7 job. Being president, ultimately being president of the company, we had 65,000 employees and agents in 12 countries. So you could imagine even the travel schedule was pretty crazy. So I I developed some coping techniques, probably the craziest one that most people won't be able to emulate easily. And I don't expect them to, but for me, it worked very well is I'd get up every morning at 4am, not often with a very long night's sleep even. I'd work out, ride an exercise bike. At the same time I'm on the bike, I was sending emails to each one of my kids and my my wife. And at that point, we had five kids. Mailing emails to each of the kids, often very short, just how you doing, what's happening today. I always ended it by saying, I love you and I'm proud of you. And I, I rarely even got a response unless I said, please acknowledge receipt of this email. And they, they would send back two words, got it. But you know, I knew it really mattered to them because if I invariably, if I was traveling overseas, and I didn't send an email, one or more of them would say, Dad, what's up? No email today? So I mean, it mattered. It's obviously always better to speak directly to your kids. And I I did a lot of that as well. The other thing I did during that workout period was I had, I'd read a chapter from the Bible. And I went through the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which has 99 chapters. I kind of viewed that as my three-month startup plan in reading through the Bible. And I kept that up for a lot of years. And then I had a prayer list of people I was praying for. So it was an effort to balance not only the family, but career, family, and faith. But probably the most important thing I can talk to about your audience, because I've mentioned this in so many of my interviews, speeches, presentations I made at New York Life, that my first daughter started a practice in which I took each one of my five kids on a trip alone with me every year. So I actually told the board of directors at New York Life, these are top priority for me, and I'm going to be doing this every year. So it often was just a weekend somewhere. Sometimes it got a little bit more extravagant than that. But great bonding experience. Those kids, my daughter Heidi was nine years old. We went to Washington, D.C. together spent the weekend there. And she remembers every aspect of that trip and every trip, every subsequent trip. I mean, I was doing this for almost 20 years with five kids, almost 100 trips. 
And by the way, I really view that as my biggest legacy at New York Life, because so many people now, even after I've been retired for more than a decade, so many people send me emails or Christmas cards saying, thanking me because they adopted that same practice. So I encourage anybody with young kids, even if the kids are teenagers, I mean, I did this into their teen years. It was a wonderful coping technique, and I hope that other your listeners will consider doing it themselves. I've been able to do that myself with a few of my daughters on a few different trips, and and my youngest continues to ask me and say, hey, can you take me when you're going to this? Will you take me if you're going to that? And I, I have to balance it to say, well, you have to be in school too. So, you know, we have to we have to have a little bit of a balance here. You can't just be traveling with dad all the time, you know, especially because you're in a public school. So you know, we got to keep that balance there. But but it is special times and special moments when you can go and do things. One of the trips that I loved with my oldest was I had taken her with me when I was working for a law school. I was going to a fair out to California. I took her with me and we took a side trip to Yosemite. And it was only for a few hours, unfortunately. But but we went, we, t- we spent like four hours driving to Yosemite, four hours driving back from Yosemite and spent a few hours in the park. And I wish we had had days to spend in the park because she loved it. But it was special time. I mean, we got to talk, we got to reflect, we got to talk about the experience. And it's stuff that makes memories, but also allows for you to be able to have something that is just your own. And those special times are ones that they'll reflect on for their whole life. So I completely agree with you on that. That's wonderful. In fact, Yosemite is a spot I took each of my two boys separate. And that's just as you described, it was a spectacular event. One of the things that I hear from a lot of dads is that going into becoming a father of daughters, there's sometimes some fear there. And you adopted your three daughters. So there's so in having those daughters come into your life, what would you say was your biggest fear in raising daughters? Well, frankly, I, I don't think I had any great fears. I was so thrilled about it. And the, the fact that they were adopted, you know, I felt like it was it was almost a blessing that we had some fertility issues for a few years because these daughters are truly a blessing and, and a miracle in and of themselves. So obviously there's always some anxiety over it, working the kind of hours I was working, realizing my wife would be taking on a heavy burden and it might have a negative effect on the marriage. That was maybe the biggest fear, but it, it wasn't severe because I knew my wife was very strong and she put up with me for <laughs> decades and my work habits. But uh, yeah, I mean, it just has been a wonderful, wonderful journey. The third daughter is a special needs child, and that actually has been quite special. Now, with three different daughters, you have three different personalities, three different types of individuals, three different needs and wants to be able to have those special bonds, but also to create those special bonds. And I guess as you think about your three daughters and their individuality, what is the favorite thing that you either did or love to do with each of your daughters uniquely that allowed you to create those special relationships? You're absolutely right about how each of the children, I mean, all five of my children, the the two boys as well, have very different personalities, different needs, different skill sets. 
And you have to adapt to that. And, you know, I, I think it was important not to make comparisons of how one's doing better than the other. Never. I, we never did that. We always, you know, complimented them on their successes, had tactfully dealt with issues and problems. But, you know, it was always about loving them and praying for them and communicating that we were we were doing that. I think in terms of special moments, probably with my, my oldest daughter was that trip to Washington, D.C., just because it started this bonding. It was wonderful. My second daughter who's a lot more like me than the other kids. I mean, she's kind of an overachiever and, you know, works really hard at everything and, and try, try, is a bit of a perfectionist. But with her, I think the, the writing of this book that I just wrote is probably one of the greatest moments with her because uh, if it's all right for me to talk about the genesis of the book, she came to me, she just graduated from college and she came to me and was in a marketing level position way down in a very large global organization. And she said, Dad, you know, I'd like to build a career out of this. I'd like to get noticed as a high potential individual. Can you give me some tips on how to succeed and how to get noticed? And I thought long and hard about that. I prayed about it. I thought how someone at New York Life at my level could notice an employee way down in the organization. And I gave her five tips, which she executed very well, did extremely well, had a number of promotions following that. She was smart anyway, and she would have done well without the tips, but she did. I think the tips help. And then I used those tips in two commencement addresses, got great feedback. I ended up writing a short article about it. My agent, because I had written two prior books, my agent got a hold of me and he said, Fred, I saw that article. You got another book here. And I said, he said, I don't see anything like this in the market. And I said, well, I hadn't thought about that, but you know, I'll give it some thought. And that was the genesis of that book. The other thing about my daughter Dina, the second one, was one of the trips. We we went, she was in college and she spent a semester in China. And I met her on our trip together that year was to meet in Korea. And she's a, she's a Korean orphan who knew nothing about her past. And to make a long story short, I met her there. We ended up visiting an orphanage. They sent us to the adoption agency where I had adopted my daughter. And they had records for her and her adoption that we had never seen. In fact, the records they brought out, the only thing in English were the applications my wife and I made for the adoption. And as a result, we did not attempt to find the mother, but we had the name of the mother. And she had given her up for adoption because she was unwed at the time. And years later, my daughter actually connected with her and have had correspondence with her ever since. Just that whole sequence of what happened was marvelous. Let's talk a little bit about the book because you you talked about the fact that this that the genesis really came from your daughter coming to you and then and the other pieces that kind of fell into play after that. And that there are five tips. And I don't want to give away all five, but I guess for for someone to get an idea, let's talk about maybe one of the tips, one of the ones that that really resonates not only with you, but maybe with your daughter, that you would, if somebody came to you again and said, what's what's the, what's the one thing that I can do right now that I should start right now doing to be able to move in my career and to be able to be noticed in my career? What would you say? And what would be that first tip that you would offer? The book has got five biblical principles in workplace and 10 
tips on fast starting your career. The one that's kind of easiest and simplest to explain is when I gave to her, as I said, and this applies equally whether you're in a small company, large company, you're an entrepreneur, or you're even applying for jobs. As I said to her, I want you to memorize the company's mission statement so that you can recite it. And she said to me, Dad, you really want me walking around reciting the mission? And I said, no, I don't want you to do that because that will appear arrogant. And in my view, arrogance is the biggest career blocker. But I want you to be able to recite it so it's embedded in your brain. And if it's embedded in your brain, then you can instantly recall it and you'll be able to assess and judge some of the decision making that's done at the company at your level and above. And even when you start to advance in the company, you can use it as kind of the litmus test for your own decisions. Because I said, I really view it as critically important that a company's decisions align well with their mission. So that was very important one, which she obviously did right away. And I kept warning her, don't walk around talking, reciting it, because it won't work. But, you know, there are subtle ways in the book. I talk about subtle ways that you can make it known that you understand the mission and you embrace the mission. And I even said, if you're applying for a job, because I interviewed many, many dozens of candidates for jobs, if you make it clear that you have a passion for their mission, you've got a leg up on anybody else interviewing. And there's a lot of other interview tips in the book. Let's let's delve a little bit on that in the sense that you said to show that you have a passion for their mission. What's the best way in regard to the interviews that you've been on and over the length of your career for someone that walked in and really showed you that at New York Life? There's a fine line of showing that you have a passion for the mission versus showing that you are, I'm just going to say that you're trying to get a job and you're just saying what, what you think needs to be said. So what did some of those best candidates do to really show you that they had a, a true passion for the mission of New York Life? Well, there were always a couple of things I coach people in terms of interviewing. One is study as much as you can about the company in advance. And secondly, develop two or three or four questions to ask. Because the worst thing you could do, almost every interview I ever conducted, at the end, I left time for them to ask me questions. And if they didn't ask me questions, that was a negative result because you knew they weren't that involved. They didn't look that closely at the company. They didn't go on a website. So by going on the website, developing two or three questions, one of those questions might relate to the mission. Like, how are you, for example, at New York Life, part of the the mission there was penetrating a middle market with insurance products. And one, someone interviewing could say, I read your mission. I love it. I, I feel the same way. But how is it you're penetrating the middle market more than your competitors? You know, that kind of a thing. You don't want to just say, I read your mission. I love it. I'm really passionate about it. It's going to sound disingenuous. But if you find a way to pose a question that addresses some element of the mission that's useful the other i'll just tell you one other interview technique tip that's really important and and i so many people violated this when they when they interviewed with me is i tell people don't even ask about compensation and benefits in the first interview 
You want to come there because you, you know, you have a passion for their mission. You want to come there because you really feel you have value you can add. Don't get hung up on compensation and benefits because you're going to learn that when they make you an offer, that's the time to start asking questions about those things. Great advice. I know that in my own experiences, I've definitely shied away from that. You def- I wait for the second interview or you wait for an opportunity to follow up afterwards if you're at that point of getting an offer to go down that road. So that's great advice that I appreciate you sharing. Now, you wrote this book, kind of the genesis came out of the conversation with your daughter. You gave your daughter the advice. Now, I'm sure your daughter has read the book. As she reflects on the book now, what kind of what kind of response has she given you based on not only what the original five tips that you gave her, but now the expanded version? And, and, and what have you heard back now? She's very supportive. She's living in the same house with us now you know, in New Hampshire with her husband and three of our grandkids. But she's very supportive. She listens to my interviews. She'll probably be listening to this one, so I got to be careful what I say, right? But she listens to the interviews. And she actually, I mean, I know she's complimenting me and she's biased, but she says, Dad, this book is your magnus opus. This is your real crowding achievement. And I think she's right. I mean, my first two books were were totally faith-based about my own encounters with God and about people in crisis in the second book. But this one really combined both the biblical principles and my experiences from my work in an integrated way that I think is well-received by readers. And she's just very supportive. She now does her own podcast. I couldn't even tell you the name of it right now because she just did her first and second one last two weeks ago and last week. And she's really done a very professional job. Maybe not as professional as you do, but she's working on that. I'm going to tell her to listen to yours because it's a good example. But uh, she's done that. And she herself has written two books. She wrote a book on prayer and another children's book that had a faith basis to it. And she's just a wonderful kid. And we have a great time together. It's a blessing to live in the same house with with a multi-generational family. You just opened yourself up. So let's talk a little bit about living in a multi-generational family now and going from being a father, raising your kids, having the kids move away, and now having them move it back again, and now being a grandfather and a father at the same time. So what are you learning now and this point in your life that is helping you to support your whole family in a different way? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, we're living in a former ski lodge, and I guess both the, the best thing about it is there's two separate wings. So my daughter with her husband and three grandkids are out in one wing and we're in the other wing, and in between there's a large common area. So we do have some element of separation. But I think I think what I've learned is, and by the way, the, the three grandkids are 12 years old, and there are two twins who are three years old, uh, two twin boys, three years old. So the thing, I always knew it, but it's more evident now, is don't interfere with the way your kids manage and discipline and treat their own children. If there's something that bothers you, keep it to yourself, unless it's something really severe, but there's nothing like that going on. So it's just marvelous to be able to play with the grandkids, to take them out on special trips with us and on events. And, you know, the three-year-olds are a handful because there's two of them, 
but uh, it's been marvelous. So, but we 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 definitely do not interfere with their family affairs, but we integrate a lot of things that we do together. Not to mention meals every day together. It's wonderful. We always finish our interviews with what I like to call our fatherhood five, where I ask you five more questions to delve deeper into you as a dad. Are you ready? Ready. In one word, what is fatherhood? (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) To do something like that in one word is not easy. What is fatherhood? It's a journey. That's two words. When was the time that you finally felt like you succeeded at being a father to a daughter? At each of their weddings. I found that very emotional moment, but I felt like I got them ready. Probably the second most important is when they went off to college. But both of those moments were culminations, really, and commencements. If I was to talk to your daughters, how would they describe you as a dad? Loving, compassionate, instructive accessible. They come to me often for advice, like she did for the book, what ultimately was the book. But it goes on day after day. When she had issues at work, all three of them really would come to me with advice on how to deal with it. So that advisory capacity was important to them. Inspires you to be a better dad. Well, I work at it. I try to understand what each of them needs and wants and can gain from my knowledge and my background. You know, my experiences come into play a lot. I tell a lot of stories. I mean, in my books, I'm a storyteller. And I try to tell them stories that would be a lesson for them. So I'm I'm just inspired. Like Dina in particular, my second daughter, is kind of a lifetime learner. My mother was a lifetime learner. And I'm a lifetime learner. I'm always trying to learn more and improve and and have an impact. I'd say my passion, I tell everybody my passion really is to positively impact the lives of others. And that starts with my daughters and my sons. Given a lot of pieces of advice today, as we're finishing up today, what's one piece of advice you'd want to give to every dad? I'd say no matter what's happening in their lives, because they always have issues. They're facing so many conflicting situations right now. The pressure on them to get strong grades, the pressure on them to conform to the the standards they see being set by others, the people they hang around with. I'd say for the dads, what you can do, especially if your kids get into drugs or anything like that, is a minister once told me, all you can do is love them and pray for them. And I think that was great advice because when I did have some issues with my sons, the prayers were answered and the love was accepted. Well, Fred, I, w- I just want to say thank you. And now if people want to find out more about you, about the book, about what you're doing, where's the best place for them to go? Probably the best place is my website, which is Stories of God's Grace. I set it up when I wrote my first book, Stories of God's Grace. No apostrophe, no dots, no dashes, just all one flowing set of letters, storiesofgodsgrace.com. You can also order the books there. There's a workbook that goes with Fast Starting a Career Consequence, which is much shorter, but basically gives the same advice with a lot of exercises to do to implement it. 
Um, also, obviously, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, bookstores can order it relatively easily if they don't have it on their shelves. Well, Fred, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for everything that you are doing to help parents, fathers, and more to be able to to help their kids in many different ways. And And I really appreciate your time today, and I wish you the best. Thank you, Christopher. God bless you. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat. And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen, carpenters and muscle men, get out and be the world to them. Be the best dad you can be. Be the best dad you can be.